Welcome to Niggas Eatin', a tastefully offensive podcast with your hosts, Rory and Tammy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, good to see you, Rory. Mm-hmm. It's probably the last time you'll see me. We will find out by the time we record the next episode. Yeah. Uh, so today, uh, we're doing a long form. We're doing Wong Kar Wai. Are we doing a threesome? What is this? Hmm? A threesome? We're doing Wong Kar Wai? Oh, I get it. <laughs> it was just so lowbrow. I, I just, you know. <laughs> Have you known me to do anything highbrow? I just did not expect that, you know. Mm. Uh, but no, no threesome. Um, but we're going to deep dive into him. Yeah, uh, it doesn't. That <laughs> sounds just sounds just as suggestive. I got that one though. Yeah. Um, but I think you know we kind of discussed previously that the approach isn't necessarily a here's the movies and, and here's some cool facts about them. Uh, linear. Yeah, that. Yeah, that didn't work. Which out. goes along with the process of the filmmaker. He does not make linear films. Listen, I got my sticky notes right here. And I got my napkins right here. Honestly, this was very challenging to try and dissect uh, mm. the work in a in a way that won't get messy. So I feel like I just want to cover a couple things before we start. So here's the linear part. Wong Kar Wai is a Hong Kong-based filmmaker who kind of exploded on the scene in 1994 with his film Chungking Express uh, that was picked up by Miramax Pictures and, you know, championed by Quentin Tarantino and, um, you know, did the festival circuit and people loved the poppy, punchy, cool, wow, contemporary China. You're already giving me the look. Oh, I was going to say, plus the cranberries. Well, obviously. <laughs> Don't forget the Mamas and the Papas. Yeah. California Dreaming. Not contemporary, but mm-hmm. man, that song sold. Mm-hmm. So um, just a little about, about Wong Kar Wai. He, um, his family is from Shanghai, and he uh, was born in Shanghai in 1958 and emigrated to Hong Kong in 1963, which at the time was a British protectorate um, and financial hub. Protectorate. Mm-hmm. I'm just go on. <laughs> I mean, go ahead. No, no, it's just an interesting, nice colonial word. To yeah, use. it was yeah. a nice colonial word. I mean, it was a colony of Britain because yeah. they fucked over China. Mm-hmm. Um, and he grew up as, in a community within Hong Kong of Shang, uh, Shanghai immigrants. And basically, uh, he spent a lot of time there with just his mother before, uh, while his father was working uh, as a sailor and then later uh, worked in the restaurant industry um, in Hong Kong and, you know, um, his worldview was kind of, you know, cultivated in seeing a lot of the glitzy um, transplants developing their own community, you know, uh, a lot of uh, dancers and gamblers and, um, you know, foreign business people and writers um, who some of which who you know rented rooms from their family's apartment, uh, which comes into play in some of his work. In fact, a lot of his work, read all of his work. So in 1982, after dropping out of graphic design school, he attended a director training program uh, at the Television Broadcast Limited, um, which basically funnels you into the you know television space. And from there, in 1985, he started writing. Well, he he developed a screen. Uh, Stay in school, kids, because reading is what? Fundamental. Which, for those of you gays, is not a reference to RuPaul. My French, my Haitian-born French teacher in high school used to tell us that because we were all stupid and we didn't like to read. So she really from Florida, huh? He, yes. Excuse me. He's really from Florida, huh? Yeah. Because he said Haitian-born. I was like, that nigga's from Florida. (laughs) By way of Haitian. Yeah, Haitian. (laughs) <laughs> Stay in school, kids, because reading is what? Oh, my God. It is fundamental. This is, this is a rough one for me. So anyway, in 1985, um, 
one of his scripts uh, called The Final Victory was produced. And from there, he got his first shot directing uh, a movie called As Tears Go By in 1988. And his filmography goes from there, which I think I'm just going to explain right off the top so we can kind of jump around from there. Um, in 1988, he makes a film called As Tears Go By. That's his first film. Um, and it was received critically and, you know, uh, financially successful Mm -hmm. uh his second film in 1990 uh, days of being wild was not received so well and his um his uh sequel that he was going to make to the film was scrapped and then he it wasn't sorry it wasn't well received by whom like an international audience the chinese audience chinese audience okay they thought it was kind of whack um so uh isn't that a theme in his filmography <laughs> well isn't it i mean because doesn't they like isn't yeah but see here, the weird thing is though like hong kong specifically shows him a lot of love throughout his career his movies are almost always nominated in like every category right but as a whole he's kind of seen as oh he's trying Anomaly. to placate he's trying right. to placate placate to this western idea of filmmaking and i think that's a very interesting conversation because like everybody in the west really loves him mm-hmm. and everybody it's like uh the kooky uncle you know yeah the black sheep yeah i mean even a very close friend of mine um you know who grew up in hong kong as mm. he remembers it when i was talking about oh Wong Kar Wai films are great he's like oh those weird artsy, ass fucking those yeah. oh, okay oh cool you like those yeah i got yeah. it but i mean a lot of the films do like look like some of the old classic kind of melodramas and, mm-hmm. and things like that like he's obviously you know i know he gets compared to especially his early work gets compared to like scorsese and that uh quentin tarantino presents dvd cover of chun king express doesn't help his case either but um so he's obviously is drawing from you know, I mean, uh, Western and South American literature, but right. even with that, it's... But it's there's a lot of the visual language and a lot of the, mm-hmm. the obviously, the locations and shit. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, it's his, uh, his love for Hong Kong, which yeah. is, you know, regardless of its, uh, you know, British connections and international connections, it's still China. Connections. Which, which now is becoming more and more apparent um, against... Well, we're not going to go there no, because no, no. I don't... Well, we, we will a little bit, only in reference to his films. Um, yeah. But in 92, he started his production company, Jet Tone Films, and then from there, he started working on an epic uh, uh, an epic film uh, called Ashes of Time uh, based on a book by... His pen name is Jin Woon, but he goes by... Uh, but his actual name is uh, Louis Cha, and his novels are considered like the most widely um, read uh, martial arts films uh, in the world, like the most sold. Martial uh, arts books or films? Books, excuse me, books. Um, and yeah, his uh, his pen name is uh, Jin Yang, and his real name is Louis uh, Louis Cha, and he wrote like fifteen of them between like nineteen. 19- 55 and 1972 um and ashes of time is based on the first book of his condor trilogy and the book's called the legend of the condor heroes um then in then in the middle of shooting ashes of time um in mainland china he goes back to hong kong and does a quick turnaround in a couple months and makes his well his breakout film chunking express uh then in 95 he shoots- well ashes in time isn't like there's like the the cut was lost or and then it gets the redux in like 2008 eight yeah we'll get there oh well it's important to know like that if you're going in his filmography is that like yes the original film was released in 94 and there was a recut in 2008 so in 95 he makes his film fallen angels in 97 he makes his film a happy together in argentina gay rights um and in 2000 he makes his seminal work in the mood for love and in 2004, he makes my favorite film of his, 2046. And in 2007, he makes my favorite film of his, My Blueberry Nights. <laughs> oh, it's your favorite film, Roy? <laughs> we'll get into it. Why? I, I cannot wait until you can tell me more. 
because uh, that's the first I heard. Um, and in 2008, uh, he completes the work on Ashes of Time Redux, which he had to find, you know, different parts of prints and copies of prints in Hong Kong, China, and even Chinatown in the U.S., in New York City, uh, to pull together uh, a, a more palatable cut, which what we will talk about. Julie Dash would call a melange of beautiful images. Beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. <laughs> wow, wow. Um, and then in 2006, or 2013, he came out with his uh, last movie, The Grand Master, based on the uh, martial arts uh, master Ip Man, who trained Bruce Lee. Um, and then in 2016, they released a 3D version of it, which... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that apparently happened. And then he was supposed to, right before coronavirus, he was going to work with, was, was it Amazon or something? Mm-hmm. To do like a, a mini series or something, and then... Called you know. Blossoms, which apparently is supposed... Because it's, it's set in the 1960s, and it was also supposed to actually connect loosely to the other three films as tears go by in the mood for love in 2046. Yeah. Uh, so with that, that's his, you know, overall arc. Now, I think the other thing is there's a couple factors that whatever it is that draws people and especially, you know, you and me to his work are a couple of his collaborators and a couple of his inspirations and experiences, which I'll just get out of the way. So the major collaborations is between him and the uh, director of photography, Chris Doyle. Uh, they work together on almost nearly all their films except three, uh, all his films except three. Um, so starting with As Tears Go By in 1990 and up until 2046 in 2004, where apparently... As Tears Go By was Andy Lau, was the DP. He didn't start working until... Oh, Days of Being, Sorry, Days of Days being of Wild. Days of Being Wild, yeah. I, I keep doing that where I keep switching them. Yeah, to me, they're the same, like... And then their titles are interchangeable. Yeah, which is yeah. so weird. Because they're, they're very different films. Yeah. Um, so as Tears Go By is the first film. So he started working with Chris Doyle on Days of Being Wild. And then he concluded, amicably, we hope, um, with mm. him in, uh, with uh, 2046 and 2004, which apparently he walked off on. Well, Christopher Doyle is Australian, so he's a white Australian man. I thought you were going to use another A word. That you're an asshole? Nope. <laughs> another word. An anti-Semite? No. No, he's not Nick Cannon. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, an alcoholic. Oh, well, yes. That, that very much troubles the relationship as well. I was trying to find the word alcoholic, but I kept saying drug use but liquid. <laughs> that was coming in my mind. Can you repeat that? <laughs> What, drug use but liquid? Yeah, that's a very I'd, interesting... Okay, Mr. Uh, formerly married, not married anymore. The a widow? Yeah. yeah. A widow? <laughs> divorced? Ah, yeah, that. Um, okay, so, you know, arguably Chris Doyle is his, like, uh, most relevant collaborator in that... Behind the scenes. Yeah, yes. But, um, yes, but I'm getting to those two. Yeah. Um, but in terms of creating the images that... You either remember or you don't, but you definitely feel, you know, at, at least I feel as an audience mm -hmm. member watching these films, um, where as much as I was trying to look for better phrasing, there's so much of like uh, a mood and a vibe with their work that runs across their work throughout and they kind of create uh, different languages that they kind of mix up between all these uh, collaborations. Mm -hmm. um, and then William Chang yes. is production designer, art director, and Costume editor. Costume designer, editor. Who, like, single-handedly makes these worlds, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, not single-handedly, obviously, with his team, but is, a, is such an integral part to, you know, cool that we have these great images, but without, you know... The kippahs and um, the dresses in in the mood for love, yeah. and the futuristic scenery in twenty forty six. The Walmart brand <laughs> blouses and my blueberry nights. That dope ass uh, long coat in Grandmaster, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, William is a an icon, honestly. A I genius. Mean, editing costumes, like that's all of those are like very intense, kind of. Yeah jobs and to have you know two or three of them 
per movie. I mean, they started in. Uh, uh, he started working with uh, Wong I- on Chunking Express, and you know everything up to uh, the Grandmaster. Yeah, and he um, started. He started editing uh, with him on. That's not right. On Chunking. Yeah. So he's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he started the editing as well. So um so those are two of the collaborators. And then in front of the screen, you know, Maggie Chung, um, who he's worked with uh two one, two three, As years go by. She started in as years go by. Four, five. Five out of his like, you know, yeah. nine movies, uh ten movies. And then Tony Lung. The hottest he is amazing. Actor. He he is like the pair of them are so talented. Oh yeah. And you see them so often. Yeah. And uh but also uh Fei Wong and Takashi Kaneshiro mm-hmm. and uh Cheng Chen, Karina Lau. Yeah. Leslie Chung. Leslie Did you say Chung. Leslie? No, I didn't. Okay. No. All of those names, they uh permeate his work and you also see them in the greater work of Asia, mainland China, Hong Kong, all over the Taiwan. place. Taiwan as well. And even, um, I mean, something I didn't really ever connect was that Tony Lung was in um, Infernal Affairs. Yeah. The yeah, movie yeah, yeah. That, oh, know, yeah. I love that The know. Departed was based off of. Yeah. I love yeah, you know. the Infernal Affairs mm-hmm. trilogy. It's, yeah. Okay. It's a whole trilogy. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those those like collaborators are are very much like the keys to – uh, the success of the work and even in the way that in interviews that those performers and those collaborators talk about working with him and how Wong talks about working with them it's it it's very uh unique in the sense where it's it's mostly like intuition based and it's a lot of trust on the actors parts and on the collaborators parts to execute a vision of Wong and Wong also isn't necessarily uh, demanding like a static unchanging unwavering opinion on how things should things should be he including the his, purpose of the movie writing the direction it, of the movie when to shoot it when the to look s- of the movie when to stop shooting it when to actually <laughs> deliver a cut um, he's reshooting the movie a notorious procrastinator um, somehow still pulls out some of the best work out of all these people like um, where I think he often says he doesn't want to see the actors act. He wants to see the actors being, mm-hmm. you know, so he, uh, Zhang Ji in, um, in 2046, he spent a lot of time with her, uh, to, to get a feel and like the sensation of the character by just being in the costumes, um, and he sent her home with like a bunch of the costumes and same with Maggie within the mood for love. He just mm-hmm. sent her home with all the dresses so she could get comfortable performing in those dresses. And there were like 47 of those dresses. Yeah. And, and, uh, and with Tony, he'd just tell him, okay, um, you are this person. So be that person. Now, most people, when they do that, uh, the performance looks bad. The direction is obviously non-existent and terrible, but somehow he pulls uh, really great work out of these people. And with Chris, you know, they even joke in this old BBC interview about their um, work from between Chunking all the way up to Fallen Angels. You know, they're kind of walking around uh, Chunking mansions and they're talking about how, you know, in like as tears in in uh, days of being wild how they were going for like a monochristic look and they put three filters in front of the camera and they're like i think it's good Mm -hmm. but they couldn't tell because you know wong had his glasses on and you know uh (laughs) and chris wasn't sure but they just kind of laughed it on like yeah it kind of worked out you know yeah um i mean i think it was was it days of being wild? no it was ashes of time where um oh you remember that i do (laughs) <laughs> I I zoned out watching that movie. I couldn't. It was whoo. But um Chris was drunk mm. and he, you know, they were they were setting up this big fire scene like burning building or some shit. And he was late to set, so then he's like stumbling onto set 
and they're like, we're waiting for you. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And they're just like, uh, you good to go? And Chris like, yeah, give me the A cam. Give me the A cam. I got this. I got this. And, uh, you know, they're about to shoot. And he's like, actually, let me work C. I'm not, I'm not really that. Let me work C. <laughs> 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 and, and wow, he bumped himself from his yeah. own crew. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then apparently they get it. And the crane shot fucked up or something. And, you know, everybody's like, shit, well, we fucked it up. And so Chris takes C-cam and he just runs into the fire catching all of this B footage. And he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to fuck this up. Let me, let me. It's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Wow. And you wonder, would he have done that if he was sober and not hungover? He would have probably got the shot in the first place. That's fair. Um, But that's the kind of, you know. Thing that you would expect from Australians. Okay, well, the Australian slander is heavy today, huh? Um, but uh, besides those collaborators, like his influences come from a lot of writers, um, and mm-hmm. two of them being uh, these two uh, Chinese writers uh, who I mentioned before, uh, Louis Cha, who started a newspaper, the Hong Kong Daily, uh, and he immigrated or moved from uh, Shanghai um, in the 40s and started writing, you know, newspaper columns and on the side would write martial arts uh, stories Mm -hmm. and start publishing them under his, you know, um, pseudonym. Um, And doesn't that have parallels with? Absolutely. Certain characters. No, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And then uh, Louis, it's, it's funny because it's not only it's the writer's story and journey of, you know, making it and making work and the stories that those writers made. Were made, yeah. So, and then the other, the other like really huge influence on his work is uh, Lu Yichang. Sorry, Santino, please roast me uh, later when I see you uh, for these poor pronunciations. And um, he's considered the founder of like contemporary Hong Kong literature. And Wong Kar Wai read The Drunkard, and intersection. So I'm the sure drunk- he did read Christopher Doyle many times on set. Is that what I said? That's what I said. It was a joke. Drunk- the drunkard. He read the drunkard. Ah, because the drunk part between the lines. Not, yeah. What is it? Reading is fundamental. So he read the drunkard, and he read intersection, and inter- uh, the drunkard came out in 1963, and intersection came out in 1993. And it's about two interwining stories of missed connections. And interwining stories is very important to Wong's kind of narrative structure. Yes. And uh, not lowered expectations, <laughs> not mad TV, but the missed con- lowered expectations. Uh, I, I was thinking about like the Craigslist joke. Yeah. About like missed connections. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's a very important theme to. So films. so those two. Uh, those two pieces of literature like are kind of the foundation for how he develops his own work. Um, and I think his extensive TV writing allowed him space to, you know, think about what he would like to put on screen before he actually got a shot at directing, um, which then kind of, you know, gives rise to a very, um, hmm, off-the-cuff way of writing a story, sometimes which he'll start with a premise and sell the rights, uh, the international rights to the film. And then from there, once he gets the actors on board, uh, he'll then figure out the story when they start shooting on day one. When they start shooting on day four. And then on day 15, (laughs) when he's like, oh, this is actually the movie I want to make, they'll scrap that whole 15 days worth of production and shooting and they'll start over with something new which he's Well the done. first 15 days might turn into like a Chanel commercial or something. I mean it's usually the sketch work for yeah. the Chanel commercial yeah. later. Where Chanel's like, "Oh, we loved that thing. We'd like you to work <laughs> on something new." He's like, "Great. So I'm going to need a million dollars and uh, I'm just going to shoot that over." Yeah. Yeah. So, um so those writing influences are are paramount to like how he thinks about how his stories are because he's not really You'll see in his work, he's not interested as much in the plotting of what happens in these worlds. He's interested in how characters respond to the world around them. And usually that comes from a longing 
or a lust or a missing or like Faye Wong breaking into Tony's apartment and listen, opening the door listen, and listen, Tony's right there. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen, we'll, we'll get into how <laughs> psychotic all of these people actually are, <laughs> but how some, how somehow they're so whimsical and charming, uh, extremely charming. And just like, they look amazing on screen. Like the, the, the photography of them, the kind of chicness and like the posture, the costumes, mm-hmm. everything. all of it makes you forget that, you know, that's like a class A stalker offense. Um, and then his experience is like the last, I think, part of his filmmaking world. And, you know, he moved to Hong Kong in the 60s after the, are we calling this a cultural revolution? Social, political revolution? The, like, the cultural revolution of communist China? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a lot of people left mainland China uh, because things were changing. And that's the most I can do because <laughs> Mao was killing the landlords. So um, his fa- you know, his, his mother and him moved to Hong Kong while some of his family, uh, mostly his mother's side of his family, who he was influenced by his grandfather, who is, you know, a pretty predominant figure, you know, in their community um, and some of his brothers and sisters back in Shanghai. And uh, him and his mother went to Hong Kong while his father uh, was sailing, was working as a sailor, and then finally came to Hong Kong to be closer to home. Um, and his view of like a very eclectic uh, emerging community of, you know, Shanghainese people um, or Shanghainese culture, you know, within Hong Kong uh, definitely influenced how he thought of a metropolitan and his like numerous trips when his father was away. He took numerous trips to the to the movie theater. Like his love of movies, he often says, comes from his mother just mm-hmm. from watching, you know, westerns and gangster films and melodramas. So, you know, that's kind of like uh, part of the groundwork for the interest in telling stories. Um, and then obviously reading the writers that I that I mentioned before. Um, and just watching people in Hong Kong, watching, you know, the residents of Hong Kong try and navigate it. And a lot of uh, people who would stay in uh, their guest room, you know, who were just getting to Hong Kong or who were making their way through, whether they were, you know, dancers or soldiers or, you know, writers, um, He'd befriend them and was just interested in hearing their stories and their problems with, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends and trying to find, you know, meaningful work and their family. And um, yeah, those things all tie into what is like the DNA for these films that I, you know, I had trouble trying to say what the films are because the premise, the premises, they're not necessarily misleading, but they're not the point of these movies. Well, I mean, that's I think a premise. <laughs> like the premise is not the premise. The premise of most movies don't really do them justice, especially if you're getting into somebody like as eccentric as Wong Kar Wai. Mm. Like two men wanting to go to the waterfall and shit happens. Argentina. Happen. Yeah. Right. In Argentina. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like all right. yeah. That's not what the movie is at all. No. Um, yeah. So um, there's a lot of lovers' quarrels and misconnections and longing and shit, uh, regret and nostalgia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, there's three movies that are very loosely connected and all of his movies in some way are like very, you know, there's like fibers of them. Like the roots are uh, the roots of all his films are connected to all those things that I mentioned before. And they're like branches spread across each other and kind of like cross pollinate. Um, It's kind of like the Easter eggs in Pixar. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Where you the know, little alien buddy the, and yeah, Toy Story and then whatever. Dory shows up in that one, whatever the yeah. movie it is, Monsters Inc. or something. But like, so like the expired pineapples and man, 
I mean, I didn't, I don't, I didn't catch that before. But in Chunking Express, become a little throwaway joke. Not really, a th- but it's like a cute little throwback to uh, Fallen Angels, or vice versa. Yeah, Fallen Angels has a cute little throwback about the p- expired pineapples but, in Chunking. Express. But what's interesting is that character that Takeshi Kadashiro plays, Heiji Wu, he plays Cop Two uh, Two Two Three. Right, which is his name in Fallen Angels is Heiji Wu. Yeah. Which, it's just like, it, you could, you don't have to read into it. He just used the same name and the same actor. Right. But also, it's like, it could just be some parallel thing. It could be some, a what if, you know? It could be a, a what if scenario. And um, uh, I think those types of things, finding those connections on this rewatch that we did, I think was a very um, engaging point for me. Uh specifically but something about the characters in uh days of being wild so tony lung is billed in the movie as a character (laughs) and he shows up in the last scene of the film and essentially gets ready and walks out the door and the movie ends uh his character's name though is mofo wan which is his character's name in in the mood for love and 2046 Similarly, Maggie Chung is uh, Su Li Zhen in Days of Being Wild. Now, she actually has uh, a role. <laughs> a role. Besides collecting you the know, keys and the wallet and the <laughs> the shoes and heading out the door. You know, she plays, she is, she is drunk in fucking love uh, with uh, Leslie Chung in that movie. And it's, I would be too. And it's all, I mean, yeah, it's all cause of that line. Like at the beginning, those camera moves with this kind of smoothness. I was like, Ooh, this is an upgrade from, you know, uh, as tears go the by on street photography, kind of rough neck. Yeah. But there was these, um, these very fluid, like dolly pan whips that they were doing when Maggie and on days of being wild on days of being. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I was, I was like, describing as tears go by as kind of like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which I'll I'll get into because he, he you could already see he was onto something. But um, uh, so Leslie's character Yudi, he's like a ladies' man, but he also uh, he doesn't love them hoes. Like he he does not. Mm-hmm. Um, he could he could fuck him and leave him alone. Um, he he gets Maggie by walking into this hotel every day or his his apartment every day, just being like, "What's up?" She's not interested. And then finally one day he just walks up to her and holds her hand and is like, she's like, what are you doing? He's like, hang on, just a minute. He's like, why? This minute's ours forever. And that's when she got soaking wet and was like, I'll do anything for that D. Pussy like girls, damn, is my pussy gay? It's a holiday play with my pussy day. Nikki? Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I got that. I was about to say city girls, but I don't know. Uh, The uh, pussy talk. Sounds a lot like that verse. So, is that with Nikki? No, that's with Doja Cat. Okay. Yeah. With Nikki? No. With City Girls? City Girls, yeah. It's Great. City Girls and Doja Cat, yeah. So, Pussy Talk sounds like the um, one of Nikki's verses in Boss Ass Bitch, the remix. Mm. So, Maggie's down. And, uh, you know, Leslie went down. And Leslie's cool for a minute, you know, he's like, this is nice. And then all of a sudden he's like, I don't want this shit anymore. He's like, I'm out. And starts dating uh, uh, Karina Lau. Uh, Her character's name is Lulu, a dancer. And man, Karina Lau has just this very expressive face and like wildness that you get soaked into. And anytime she's in any of his films, you at least you, at least I am just drawn to like, how expressive she is mm-hmm. and she's also a little you know she's a little extra um you know and and if 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 maggie was thirsty this bitch is just like i do whatever damn such violent gendered language am i wrong though damn such violent gendered language that's a yes or no question for <laughs> You plead the fifth? It sounds like you're pleading the fifth. You hear that laugh? He says, I'm right. So Karina Lau's character, a wonderful young woman who also happens to be dick crazy um, and very uh, vengeful. Mm -hmm. Um, 
she believes that she is the better woman and can hold Leslie down. And, you know, she also finds out um, she's not and he doesn't care because he, he in his own way, he's uh, nostalgic for something that he can't quite grasp. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, are we going like film by film now? No, I just am talking about this. Which okay. it gets to the other part. It gets to the okay because like, it gets to thirty-seven. Okay, thirty-seven this, minutes. This yeah, it gets to the time. other part. Okay. It gets to the other part. So he has a very dysfunctional relationship with his mother, who's not actually his mother, played by Rebecca Pan, who shows up in In the Mood for Love as a housemaker who rents her extra room to Suli Jen, Maggie Chung, and her husband. So in the mood for love, you know, it's like it could be the same fucking lady. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Those connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting the internationalism of his films. Yeah, where it happens, like his films. A lot of his films happen in like multiple uh, East Asian and Southeast Asian countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Happy Together takes place in Argentina. I think there was a production reason for that. He uh, he just wanted to not be in Hong Kong because they were shooting it in 96, and that was the lead-up to the handover of, um, okay, yeah. uh, of, uh, of, British, of Britain handing over, quote-unquote, uh, Hong Kong uh, for their kind of 50-year stay over before um, uh, Central China... Uh, absorbs hong kong and its whole industry and yeah, culture okay into um yeah and then also like uh, you know you have in chunking express you have um this fixation on going to california well i was gonna say um south asians oh yeah like indians yeah, in there yeah. and then in fallen angels there's black people black people show up in Wong Kar Wai film. Yeah, yeah, the kid. Oh my god! Wow. wow. No, there was like the, the there in, in the video um, when uh, two two three. T- no, Takashi. Yeah, two two three. Let's call him two. Yeah, he he's like videoing his dad at the end, and then like the black that like the three black men come, and then just. Mm, I don't remember the that? black men, but I remember the joke that the assassin makes about oh my god that's right <laughs> yeah i just I have, I have this picture of me and a woman and a black kid and i always say uh, that's my kid and nobody asks questions <laughs> and he paid them to take the photo or like something. that shit what oh the my fuck god was that oh my god but yeah no and then so so philippines in uh days of being wild yeah. um singapore in 2046 and in the mood for love mm-hmm. um cambodia and in yeah. the mood for love and then they actually shot the um uh, and then mainland China mainland for China, the yeah. Grandmaster mm-hmm. and for Ashes of Time, especially in the in the north where it's like a lot colder. And then um, for In the Mood for Love, for all of the exteriors, uh, when you know Maggie and Tony are walking around, um, Macaw. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and Bang and uh, well, no, actually, I I was incorrect. It was it was uh, Thailand. It was Bangkok because they wanted like older streets. It wasn't Macaw. It was uh, yes, Thailand. Yeah, oh. I just I I reread it in this interview. Um, I was thinking it was Macaw, but it, they might have been looking there or something. I thought he did film something there. Maybe the hand. No, that was Hong Kong. Ah. Or maybe they started it in. Maybe it also could have been part they, of they, in the mood for love. Yeah. Um, but they wanted yeah. like the they they didn't you know, Chris and and Wong were really you know, rejecting the idea of, you know, putting stuff on stages and they wanted kind of like the... Right, and so the vehicles in the uh, building exteriors mm-hmm. were older and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, not as modern. I want to touch on 2046 really quick, specifically. Since it's your favorite movie. Well, yeah, uh, that. And because on this rewatch, which is maybe like the fifth or sixth time I've seen it in a number of years, um, I was really looking for all the little, you know pieces and connections and references to his other films and you know they're all throughout it um whether it's just visual references and like you know the 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 two shot type of car scene you see Mm -hmm. um you know which you pointed out was also in um happy together that's Um, yeah i think that's the first place that it happened mm, but see and i think about it backwards right you know um and then how they bring Karina, uh, Karina Lau back as Lulu, and mm-hmm. then her lover ends up 
killing her, which is played by Chang Chen, who was the perspective love interest in um, Happy Together. What uh, do you mean perspective? They were loving. They were just in an abusive relationship. No, Chang Chen was the 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 restaurant guy. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of. I'm sorry. Of yeah. Jack, yeah, yeah. Of, you're right. Of, right. Of, of Leslie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. But you know, um, so like, kind of seeing how they overlap. How Fei Wong, interestingly enough, plays. You know, she's not interested in Tony, but they were the. She was the love interest <laughs> in Chunky Express. Mm-hmm. Uh, the psychotic love interest, and. Um, and seeing how her role kind of becomes Maggie's role in, in the mood for love, where in Tony's search for trying to reconnect through his past, like the longing of being in the same kind of relationship he was, uh, you know, or non-relationship he was with uh, Maggie in, in the mood for love, um, he finds, you know, some sort of comfort in trying to help Faye be with her boyfriend, uh, her Japanese boyfriend, and also, you know, testing the waters that she might just be interested to, you know, mess around or something. Mm-hmm. So in those scenes where they're writing the um the the martial arts stories you know it's reminiscent of those same scenes in the mood for love and then using right. the the future 2046 scenario from the book from the stories that he's writing and visualizing those where they then overlap Karina Lau again and Fei Wong again mm-hmm. where he's telling them their secrets into like you know this spacey you know tuba head instead of the you At know the Cambodian of, the for you know, love yeah yeah um, and I mean I really enjoyed looking at all those things and even uh, Go- uh, Gong Lee shows up as uh, Suji Len in Singapore who is like the replacement for the ending yeah. of In the Mood for Love yeah, yeah, with yeah. Maggie again and again and again so I really think that anybody who hasn't seen these films and is interested in definitely a different kind of pacing and like exploration of you know film worlds and stories to kind of look for those connections as well because it's you know very interesting how they seem seamless and i don't imagine they were all intentional but but a lot of them are very intentional and some of them are just oh this might have just been convenient you know well i think these connections um there's like a cyclical nature to a lot of his films um you know, 2046 is Christmas Eve is a very important... Man, with that Nat King Cole Christmas. Right. It mm. keeps circling back onto that. Man. Happy Together, I think, is a really good... I think it's one of the best kind of looks at what the cycle of an abusive relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. And so this nature of, you know, circling back and repeated events and repeated dates and repeated characters and things like that, I mm. think that goes into his interest in uh i don't uh, i don't know if i, I want to say like the this hong kong in the 1960s absolutely like a nostalgia for this particular period of time yeah yeah but i'm i'm trying to link into like th- his kind of what how he understands kind of human nature mm, and human mm, kind of I see. and that plays out in the kind of macro politics yeah. of colonialization and and things like this right um, but yeah, so I think that's, it's not like, um, it's more sophisticated than kind of like the interconnected worlds of like Pixar or Quentin Tarantino, sure. where it's just like, oh, Apple that, cigarettes. Uh, yeah, it's just like cigarettes that happen through, or like, it's a, it's a nice kind of like production design background detail. Like there's a thematic resonance. Mm-hmm among the films and in these kind of repeated cyclical kind of moments and events and, and narratives character and characters dynamics, and yeah. yeah and things yeah. like this so which the outlier or at least the first time I watched it I felt like the outlier to all of that um to all of these things was Ashes of Time and the Grand Master and in both those senses it's partially that Ashes of Time is based on a book Mm-hmm. And I read the synopsis for the book. I mean, you still don't know what the movie's about. He, I tuned out two uh, minutes in. I, honest, honestly, the book sounds really interesting because I think it takes this kind of premise of a Cain and Abel situation. So two warriors, no, seriously, two warriors have children, and they agree that if 
the warriors are both the same sex, they'll be siblings, and if they're opposites, they'll marry. And then they end up having two sons, and then they grow up in, in different regions in China, and then both become warriors and end up becoming, you know, mortal em- enemies right. and fighting this kind of epic between other, uh, you know, warlords and, um, you know, and mm-hmm. for kingdoms and space and all this stuff. So I think he probably took, like, one tiny droplet of that original and then really wanted to process what it's like to be a warrior who is who has removed himself from the battlefield and from yeah. life yeah. and then to kind of explore his tenuous relationships with other warriors that are either searching for meaning or desire or right. for glory in battle or for people who are just looking for revenge or retribution or you know justice um, and that's where all of his other characters from his works kind of permeate that world and then with the Grand Master uh, between I've only seen it twice and the first time I was expecting kind of like a very flashy kung fu movie and then it's I it's flashy but I fell asleep so I so <laughs> no seriously I like don't I don't remember the first watch so watching yeah. it again and with being informed by watching his previous films again you know in in a sequential order um at first I was thinking oh this movie is different because this is the second outing without Chris Doyle Right. And and ph- photographically, it looks it looks much different. They still shot it on film, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kept one of the last Fuji rolls because they discontinued the yeah. stock. And um, it was uh, Philip Lassade who he worked with. Yeah, some French um, guy, I think. Yeah, a French guy who's done, you know, a lot of Hollywood stuff. And you saw how he was able to take some of, you know, some of the original ideas and still translate uh, original ideas from all his works and translate those specifically mm-hmm. even just the step printing kind of stuff. And something interesting about uh, the Grandmaster is that he copyrighted that script in 2001, but wasn't able to start actually researching and working on it till 2009. Uh, and in 2001, that's when, um, you know, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon had just come out right. and Hero was just was just about to be released in 2001 house of flag daggers so this kind of like resurgence of these like um you know uh big scale epic martial arts films right and then zhang yimu is starting to get big in the west and mm-hmm. everything yeah um zhang Zhi... the director oh sorry um yeah. um house of flying daggers i think and I mean, I just red cliff and forever crush so yeah that's why yeah um so with the Grandmaster, I was thinking, oh, this movie like doesn't seem to be connected to his work, to his other work. But it just turns out that the process for it was based on doing a lot of research on all the kung fu uh, mas- grandmasters and houses yeah. and the history of the Republic of China. You know, like established in 1918. So like this last unified political world before the Communist Revolution, and then also the Japanese. Attacks the Japanese occupation in, as well. In, yeah, World War Two, And a lot of that research was how uh, China responded to the occupation, yeah. um, which was kind of reconciling this older feudal system of kung fu houses uh, that are split between maintaining like political order and also, you know, doing battle and assassinating people to... to uh, get ahead and there was kind of this uh, light and dark thing at play uh, which he was really exploring in the fighting styles between um, Tony and uh, Zhang Ji. so her character Gong Er is a fictitious character but she that character is based on a lot of uh, a lot of Chinese women who held a lot of political and you know actual like fighting power and uh he talked specifically about this uh, one woman in the Republic of China, Shi Jing Kiao. Her father, Xing Kong Bin, being, uh, was killed by a warlord, uh, Sun Shuang Feng. Um, she spent 10 years trying to get revenge on him and finally uh, found him or caught up to him at a um, Buddhist temple and shot him three times. And that, that parallels with the Cheng Chen character, uh-huh. and, uh, and which is, I think, one of, the, one of the best fight sequences. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so slow. That's the other thing is that, like, the fight sequence, because <laughs> everything is so slow, a punch takes, like, seven seconds, and it's just like... Whoa, whoa, whoa. And that fucking train that goes by in the in the background, the it never like, ending. it keeps adding another car. It's actually <laughs> the train from 2046. That's a lie. But um, um, but yeah, he was like playing with this uh, 
with these fighting styles is like kind of you know uh opposite so you know um Ip Man you know he had he represented the Wing Chun style Wing Chun style and um the kind of philosophy is that the quickest you know way to defeating your opponent is a straight line so you just go to your opponent and you fight and you move forward that's like the intentionality mm -hmm. in the way you live whereas Gong Er um and the Bang Wang Palm of gong school or gong school um is is the philosophy it's like the fastest or best approach uh, to fighting is going in a circle which sometimes means looking back and that's actually like the most the the fatal move that allowed her to get her revenge on yeah. iron shoes where you have to move forward you actually have to look back but for her uh gong er she took that uh, very literally in the sense where she vowed that she wouldn't marry, have any kids, or move on until she um, she she wouldn't move on so that she could enact revenge for the death of her father mm -hmm. by the traitor Iron Shoes. Um. So, yeah, I mean, like, so, you know, all, all that to say, it's like, with the grandmaster it's still a continuation of this exploration of longing because he still you know puts in this story about how they could have been lovers but they, right. they yeah. didn't and how you know in Ip Man's case you know he lost his family you know his status uh in China and moved to Hong Kong and tried to move forward by teaching a whole new you know world of students uh kung fu including Bruce, Bruce Lee, Lee. Um, which is popularized in the Ip Man series, you know, in terms of stylizing and really heightening the mythology of what Ip Man is meant to be mm -hmm. and who is meant to be. Whereas this story, The Grandmaster, is kind of a Trojan horse or MacGuffin for Gong Er and this story of like uh, dynasty and, you know, lineage, uh, right. uh, lineage and, you know, not even just nostalgia, but trying to hold on to something that is, you know, really powerful. Um, and, you know, that's like family ancestral history. And with the probably scrapped Project Blossoms, you know, he was going to pivot back to, you know, exploring 1960s in a short form, you know, uh, in, a, in a long form status. And um, with that, I think like, you know, you know, just talking about like the takeaway from this particular filmmaker's career and his collaborators is that to me, I think what resonates and what continues to resonate with these works is not only that I, you know, continue to find new things in the work and in reading about how he approaches work and how his collaborators um, talk about the work, is that what permeates in the movies and the, the like kind of attractive quality of the world that he's building is developed and is really. Um, is is really developed in the process of making them no matter how kind of painful and stop and touch and go and unknown as they are so like in the fact that he's willing to take his collaborators to south america and figure out what movie he's going to make while he's making the movie mm -hmm. and still produce something on screen where you want to see what happens to these people and it's coherent and it's coherent right and it's coherent and and it, it's moving i mean i still think about the shot of Tony and Leslie just dancing in that kitchen, you know, and and when he's playing soccer with Chang Chen and all those uh, mm -hmm. and all the other um, restaurant guys like you get these moments that kind of transcend whatever it took to make the film and that always get me to rethink not only how I want to approach filmmaking, but the why because at the end of the day you could spend hundreds of hours and millions of dollars on making a super awesome cool shot and you can tell the story it took us forever and we did this and oh we almost froze our toes off and it could just be something where you watch it once and you go oh, okay well anyway you know like mm. a chris nolan film uh <laughs> tenon who's going to the theaters to catch the coronavirus to Nigga, see that, that just a <laughs> people run around in reverse um i think an objectively bad film, but probably his most interesting film, is My Blueberry Nights. Uh-huh. I was so fascinated by this film. Why? I it was... You didn't seem fascinated, so I'm really curious to hear these thoughts. Because it's... it's. You know, I mean... 
I'm trying to think like Ang Lee is a kind of a weird situation because he went to NYU. Um, it's like Bong Joon Ho doing Akja for Netflix. You know, mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. there's always these um, Western John hands. John Woo mm-hmm. comes and does Mission Impossible and a couple of Face yeah, Off face and off all of these things. So like arrow. every time who Broken Arrow. Oh, I think it's a Broke Back Mountain. I was like, that's Ang Lee. But um, there's, you know, anytime like a Hollywood's kind of cultural imperialism and cannibalization of other kind of film cultures, you know, anytime that an East Asian director kind of makes it big, especially if they're along like action lines, um, you know, they, uh, Hollywood tries to scoop them up to, to make a movie. And so... Um, it's interesting that Wong got picked up by the Weinstein Company um, to make My Blueberry Nights. I guess it was supposed to be like a Nora Jones vehicle, vehicle to stardom yeah. and things like this. I mean, he just really liked Nora Jones and was like, oh, I'm in New York and she's here. We might make a movie. <laughs> right. So it's like it's it's very interesting how that works because like Weinstein is very particular. Um, was. Yeah. And Wong works in a a very particular way and it seems cross purposes. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Bong Joon Ho did Okja and uh, Snowpiercer too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Harvey Weinstein and there was the little tap between them about. I don't know about this. Yeah. So there's a shot. I I don't remember the details, but there's like a shot of something that happens outside of the, the train and Weinstein wanted it cut, but Bong Joon Ho was like, you know. This this moment is really important to me because my father, you know, died doing something. I, I think it involved a soccer ball or something. And Weinstein's like, oh, Weinstein, I guess, is like a daddy's boy or something. And so Weinstein's like, oh, you can keep it. And Bong was like, I lied about that shit. I don't give a shit. I just didn't want him to cut my movie. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> so, so, you know, so it's very interesting, like, this kind of, you have this, the kind of uh, stand-in for, like, corporate, evil, you know, producer-controlled shit. And then Wong Kar Wai, who's just like, I wrote the script on a napkin, and then I threw it out, and then I wrote it on, you know, the back of my cup, you know? And then so I stopped writing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting because, like, I think there's a there's a disconnect in the dialogue. Like, the yeah. way that, like, I think it's a flow of how Wong is used to writing and how that really doesn't translate into English. I think that there's like a disconnect there too, but it's also like how absolutely incredibly here it comes dumb and like idiosyncratic <laughs> that he must think that Americans are like not only through our like film culture, but probably working with like I mean it's very it's a very interesting take on America, and I don't really know how to parse through it. I mean there, there's no black people in it, so you know. It's a very white that, film. That tracks. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's interesting like how how um monoracial this film is. I mean, outside of Nora Jones, who is Ravi Shankar's daughter. Mm-hmm. But you know, she's white passing, obviously. Um and she's mixed too, I believe. Um, um but, you know, talking about the in uh, kind of multiculturalism, that's probably a bad word to use. The, um, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> I can't think of a better word. Um, of like, you know, some, something like Chunking Express and how like very kind of white this film is. It's very interesting. And then like the the melodrama of it all, like, bad. it's just so weird and and you know i made the joke um on twitter about uh you know william chang really read america for filth because like i was expecting like rachel vice to like be walking in some like alexander mcqueen or some like shit you know you thought and then she's walking in like uh, the bells you know marshall's knockoff clearance sale (laughs) like what the fuck is this I don't know. It's just a fact. Like it wasn't interesting. It was very bad, but it was. It's just a fascinating look at what Wong thinks of America. And apparently, he was inspired, or one of his favorite writers is Tennessee Williams, Williams. And it takes place in Tennessee, partially, and that southern kind of Melod- 
melodrama yeah. where like the husband is threatening to kill the wife and then all of this stupid shit and then the streetcar comes rolling down the fucking sure shit does <laughs> oh no there's a black person in there in fact there oh was it was yeah there frankie faison yeah, another yeah, lady yeah, yeah. and then two background actors yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah think about that uh and the bar owner bar was, yeah bar owner jude law oh yeah no no in no tennessee. in, in tennessee yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. bar yeah, yeah yeah also there was probably two puerto ricans in the new york scenes <laughs> in the back probably out of focus i don't know yeah i uh, yeah but it's still like those characters don't have any significance that I completely forgot about them. Granted, this is the times of coronavirus where, like, a day is a year, but... A day is a year, a week is a decade, <laughs> yeah. a month is a century. Um, um, yeah, but it's so thi- weird. But things that do track from his other films, Natalie Portman, Portman's... <laughs> Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman's blonde wig. Blonde wigs. Back. Back, baby. Um... You know, Jude Law trying to get in touch with Nora Jones and that misconnection and mm-hmm. I love you, I love you, I love you and then Jude Law and Nora Jones's fucking weird rapey kiss, you know? Like yeah. you know, talk about a stolen kiss. That's a rapey kiss for mm-hmm. sure. Um and it's like the movie ends on that, so it's like what? What is this? Um and then so the blonde wig and then um he has I remember the trailer distinctly, how it used a Cat Power song, The Greatest. And Cat Power was like the it type of indie, you know, singer, songwriter person. And she plays yeah. uh, Jude Law's old, old uh, ex-girlfriend in it. And she just shows up for a minute, you know. Yeah. So um, and Darius Kanji shot this. And he he's like a master of darkness. He usually works um, with early. Um, um, Venture. Yeah. Early David. So he did like Panic Room and Seven and things like this. And he also, you know. With delicatessen, you know, it's he's very like moody and dark and um, all of this. Uh, this what the fuck was this? I'm sure on one end it was you know Harvey saying do it, and on the other end he's like oh I love Wong Kar Wai films I can try and do some Chris Doyle shit and then it's like oh okay <laughs> what is this? but like it it has a distinctive look but it seems so in a little bit yeah because there's like the fluidity that you feel in um in the mood for love or something yeah yeah you know you don't really get that but like even the lighting is like it what is the lighting it feels it doesn't feel past they just had a budget to do the um the like di that's all you know yeah i don't i don't know it's the it's a weird fucking film so i mean i guess some of that is like uh it's interesting how okay so with Happy Together, production shot in South America. They just kind of did this road movie. And they more or less did a road movie for um, My Blueberry Nights. Yeah. But maybe it was just the kind of American money, like the specific Hollywood money that, right, like, like you're saying, that kind of influenced how it actually is put together, which kind of eliminates the, um, you know, the kind of chance happenstance and stuff. eccentricities. Yeah. Of because, like, there are uh, not necessarily like establishing shots, but they're like these generic shots of like the car driving down the, you know, Nevada mm-hmm. landscape mm-hmm. and things like this, which you don't find in um, Happy Together. Get, we still get trains. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like in Happy you Together, you all, the car is always stuck. Why are you making a joke? I wasn't. You oh. don't get anything as like memorable as the shot of that, like, you know, uh, town Square in uh, in Argentina, you know, with the Coca Cola sign. Well, shit I'm like that. I'm trying to like, you know, those generic driving scenes in Happy Together. You don't get that the car is always stuck, or you're inside the bus, or something like that, mm. where it has a little bit more character and personality. So it's interesting seeing like the the kind of flattening of these moments in Hollywood yeah. to fold it into, you yeah. know. While hiring this like really eccentric director, but now we, we have to like mold him into Hold making him sense. Down, yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, everybody, uh, what, do, what do you always say? Can't be 100% all the time? Oh, no. I say that Hollywood is a culturally imperialistic um, entity, enterprise cool. that cannibalizes, you know, creativity. Cool. So on that note, um, Wong Kar Wai. Um, I think everybody should, you know, Give the big ones a shot. I mean, start with Chunk Egg Express and then work your way from there and see what you find. Um, Unsung Hero, uh, definitely Days of Being Wild and Happy Together. And Unsung uh, Hero, Happy Together is big. 
Yeah. But like, I think. Oh, if, you're straight. Yeah. I, okay. I, there's that part too, but I think if you honestly like whittled it down to name two Wong Kar Wai films, it's like Chungking Express and In the Mood for War. And what would the third one be? Happy Together. I would argue people would say 2046, even though they don't really mean it. Would you really? I don't hear nobody talking about 2046. There's more. Trust the, me. The Cannes Grand Prix prize makes okay. people assume that that's mm, the one. You know what I mean? On Twitter and Tumblr, which is, you know, the pulse of culture. Ain't nobody making 2046 gifts and and screen caps. They're making happy together. Okay. Gifts and screen caps. Like nobody's checking for 2046. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So um yeah check check the movies out. Uh they're pretty dope and definitely uh, let us know what uh, what movies uh, by Wong Kar Wai you like. Um, you know the socials. Uh, it Zebra Eleven and It Zebra. Um, Rory. Uh. Rim Blues and Rim underscore Blues, mm-hmm. Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Check us out on the podcast places and the niggas eating and niggas underscore eating, eating niggas. And With the ashes for the niggas. Because and the niggas who are eating, the niggas are eating. You know, we signed on to that Huffington Post. Was it Huffington Post or Harper's Bazaar? One of those, the censorship, cancel culture letter, we signed on to that because we want to actually put the I into our name. But mm-hmm. Well, thanks for rocking with us. Uh, We'll see you next time.